A reading from the Gospel of Luke. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your span of life? If then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep seeking what you are to eat and what you are to drink. And do not keep worrying. For it is the nations of the world that seek all these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. Everyone. Oh, hello. Good morning. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm the lead pastor here at Zao MKE Church. It is so, so lovely to be with you today on this non-binary parents' day, which is uh, just a wild thing to be a non-binary person, a non-binary parent, and to have something like that acknowledged uh, at church. So just want to let you know that that feels really special. Um, this is, I know I tell you this like every week, but this is my favorite <laughs> scripture. <laughs> I really love the Bible, guys. I love, I love, love, love this passage. It's got a corollary in Matthew as well, but even specifically the Luke passage is my favorite. <clears throat> and one of the ways that you can know that it's my favorite is that I have, I have it depicted in a tattoo on my body. Now we talk here a lot about how uh, the scriptures show that the Hebrew people, God's people, um, are, are always seeking to be faithful but have a short memory. We are the people who forget, is the message of the scriptures. And God is the God who remembers, who reminds, who always brings us back to love and to the promise of freedom and liberation and kingdom. I myself am a forgetful person at many different levels. <laughs> Ask me where my keys are most days and I won't be able to tell you. And I, I love the scriptures so much. I want them written in my heart. I want them written on my body. But even when I can remember the text. It is hard for me to remember the depth, the truth of the scriptures in so many ways. And <clears throat> though there are many verses 
that I try and keep in my memory, little snippets here and there that, that bring me comfort. I think one of the most radical passages in the scriptures is here in this, in this set of verses, in Luke 12, the ravens and the wildflowers. And the reason that I, I have that tattooed on my body is because this is a story about God's provision, God's wild provision through the whole of creation, the fact that God has accounted for each and every one of our very needs, and that God wants us to have our needs met, that God has thought about what we need, has provided what we need, and wants us, takes pleasure in giving us what we need. And the reason it's so easy to forget that is because, like, that is not what it feels like most of the time. And I am not here to, tell, to gaslight you into saying, like, oh, yeah, what you have is enough. Because what you have is probably not enough. There have probably been moments in your life where you needed something that you didn't have. And what this story is is a reminder that the only way for us to access all that provision the only way for us to be truly provided for in the, to, you know, in the base of our needs and therefore to have freedom and access to a fullness of life is for us to rely on one another in solidarity. I will get, I will get to that. I will get to what that means. But I did want to show you this tattoo. So um, <clears throat> this, it's not, it wasn't my first tattoo, but it was one of my first. And actually, I got it. It's, um, for those of you who can't see, it is a raven and some wildflowers native um, to Chicago, um, which is where I'm from. And I got it in the months before moving to Milwaukee to start Zao. And this tattoo, uh, it was a gift. It was a provision by my community back in Chicago, the people who had formed a prayer team um, to, to pray for Zhao, to pray for this project, this community to come into being. Before you were all here, there was a bunch of people praying for you. And that group of people was praying for me <laughs> because I was scared and I didn't know if this would work and I didn't know if I was uprooting my whole life for, for something beautiful or for something that was going to crash in on me. And they said, you know, we believe. We believe there's enough. We believe we have enough because we have each other. And therefore, we know that you've wanted this reminder of this radical truth that we can lean on one another and provide for one another. We know that you want that inked on your body. And so we have pooled our resources to get you this tattoo. And in that way, their prayers, this story, was, was infused into my body so that every day when I would wake up and look in the mirror and be like, oh God, what have I done? <laughs> I would be reminded, I would be reminded, not only of God's provision, but of the community's provision, the call on my life to offer what I had and to take what I need. Now, one of the things that, I, that makes me love the, the Luke passage in particular is that unlike Matthew, Luke gets specific. Matthew talks about the birds of the air. Luke talks about the ravens. Now, not only does that make for like more specific direction in a badass tattoo, it also has particular significance. The raven was an unclean animal in Jewish culture. The raven was considered an outsider. 
The raven was an allegory for those people who didn't belong. And the wildflowers here are, are lilies. And, and, you know, we have our Easter lilies up. But the lilies, which are so beautiful and feel in some ways so rare, so cultivated here, in Jesus' home and place were just wildflowers. We're just growing wild. And, and later on in the passage, they even talk, Jesus even talks about grasses, the grasses God clothes. So Jesus is talking about the things that go unconsidered, the things that have no um, kind of material value in that society, and even specifically with the ravens, those who have been cast out. And so God says, hey, think about all those things that have been cast out, that have been set aside, that get ignored, those things that aren't assigned any value in your economy. I have made them so much more beautiful than all this opulent nonsense that has been built up by the structures and powers and hierarchies of kings. Like, you, you think you know what's beautiful, but that Solomon in all his glory, ugh. But check out what I did over here. Check out the lilies, because they are beautiful. They are intricate and wild. And so Jesus is saying here, hey, what you think you know about provision, what you think you know about meeting your material needs, it's all wrong, it's all backwards. Material provision is not based on value in society. Material provision is the baseline. Material provision is something that God has baked into all creation from the beginning, an ecosystem wherein everyone has enough. And so Jesus says, don't worry. Don't become anxious about these things. Now, first of all, I want to say again, individually, if you've had to worry about keeping your lights on, I have. That is not what's being condemned here. Those things are worrying. Not being able to pay our bills is really worrying. Not being confident that we're going to have food on the table is really worrying. Jesus is not admonishing you about that. And if you have generalized anxiety, that is something different also. The experience of anxiety cultivated in our bodies by a world that is wounding and violent, that is now what's on the table here. Jesus is talking about this collective panic that drives hoarding. One of Jesus' other famous lessons is about somebody who had a, you know, a huge storehouse full of grain, so much, so much excess that he didn't even have anywhere to put it anymore. And so instead of giving it away, which is the design of God, he just built another storehouse and then died. <laughs> Jesus is like, what do you got now, dude? But Jesus is talking about this to, to, to orient us to the underlying condition of hoarding, which is worry, which is panic, which is scarcity. The scarcity that we understand as the scarcity of capitalism in our modern culture, right? And we experience this collective panic, this rush towards hoarding, in like a very particular way a couple of years ago. For some reason, in around March 2020, Everyone got real worried about toilet paper, right? There was a huge rush on toilet paper. And, and it was because there was, like, there, there didn't suddenly, like, exist in the world a scarcity of toilet paper. There was the same amount of toilet paper that had existed before. 
there was enough toilet paper for everybody. And yet, when you would go into the stores, all of the shelves were empty. You couldn't get paper products for weeks. And like, it got a little bit more bleak when it started to be really hard to find hand sanitizer. Because we can all giggle at toilet paper, but when people were trying to keep safe against a virus that they didn't know how to defend themselves against, people were hoarding hand sanitizer. Some of them from a general, like, I don't ever want to run out of hand sanitizer, so I'm going to buy it all up. And some of them from, what do we hear about in testimony? A profit motive that says, ooh, everyone's going to be really scared about this. Let me take it all up and sell it for profit. This is the most fundamentally anti-gospel response to revision that we see in our culture over and over and over again where people's safety, people's well-being is at stake constantly because some are hoarding. There is enough to go around, but some have internalized that scarcity mentality. And they've said, I got to get what's mine. And the way that we've been taught to do that, the way that has been lifted up as holy and just under capitalism, is hoarding and profit. Now, I just want to to back up to the rest of the scriptures. Did you know the scriptures actually like pretty specifically condemn profit? Like it's called usury in the Bible, which makes it easier to dismiss. Oh yeah, it's a Bible thing. But literally what they're talking about is lending money at profit is against Jewish law. There is something that the scriptures call out thousands of years ago, right? This is even thousands of years before Jesus. The scriptures have known for a long time that profit is fundamentally predatory. Profit says, hey, rather than everyone getting what they need, I'm going to get extra based on how desperately you need what you need. That's what profit is, right? And so we have this awful system. This is the system that, that drives up prices on life-saving drugs. And who was that one guy? Anybody know what I'm talking about? He, like, did the markup on the HIV drug. For, I forget his name, too. Good. Because he became a symbol, right? Oh, that guy's so gross. This is like a $15 drug that could save a lot of people's lives being sold for hundreds or thousands of dollars. But, like, that dude is just working within the system that we have, which is not an excuse for his behavior. But it is to say that this is not a bad apple's problem, this is baked into the system. This is capitalism. It thrives on scarcity. And so that worry, that panic, that hoarding, this is actually what Jesus is condemning in this passage. Saying, hey, that thing, that thing that's kind of like making your heart jittery about how you can't actually trust what's there, that you're going to have to take more in case there's not enough tomorrow, you need to root that out. Because the kingdom does not work on that economy of scarcity and panic. We see this elsewhere in the scriptures. The, the people of God wandering through the desert. And they're like, what are we going to do? At least in Egypt under slavery we had food. And God's like, I have a plan. I didn't send you into the desert to starve. Here's my plan. Weird food. Going to rain from heaven. Cool? And so when it did... They would start hoarding it. And Jesus was like, no, 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 no. 
every day weird food is going to rain from heaven into the desert. What do you not get about this? And they would still hoard. And God was like, okay, every day food is going to rain from the sky into the desert. And if you keep it, it will go rancid overnight. It will go rancid overnight. And they're like, okay, but what about Fridays? And God's like, oh, good point. I didn't want you to work on Fridays. I don't want you gathering food. That food will stay good for an extra day. But after that, it'll go rancid. This is the people of God. This is God's message about provision. God says there is always enough. But what happens when that panic in your heart makes you try and grab and grab and grab because you don't know what tomorrow brings? I, I do too, Devin. I know that feeling too. And what happens in me? It starts to curdle. It starts to go rancid, right? This panic, this thing that sets me against other people. The thing that says, I might not have enough based on what you have. The thing that, that looks around the room and says, well, if everybody's chill, there'll be enough. But since everybody won't be chill, I'll be not chill first. Right? All of that, all of that competition for resources that is baked into the economy of empire. Because empire actually loves that little curdled, rancid feeling inside of us. Empire says if, if one person or one system can accumulate enough resourcing, then we have the power to control people's lives based on that internal panic and the need to survive. That is how the hierarchy of empire works. And Jesus is explicit about this too. Like, this is one of those verses that gets put, or like, you know, embroidered onto pillows as, as just sort of like a, hey, everybody, be cool. And in fact, Jesus is calling out the empire system of material domination. He says, do not keep seeking what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying, for it is the nations of the world that seek all these things. It is the nations of the world. It is the empire that is hyper-fixated on making sure that we have enough for tomorrow and tomorrow and years to come instead of being alive to what is here today, right now, being present to one another. Jesus is talking about the way that empires fight even one another to create even more scarcity because they thrive. Power thrives on scarcity because it can hoard and then hold over what resources have been whittled down to control people's lives. To control people's lives. Rather than the system of God's beautiful ecosystem of provision, God's economy of abundance that says, actually, hey, when we just like take a temperature check and see what we all need and get each other what we all need, that's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. So when God says, hey, don't worry about this stuff, the nations worry about that, does that mean that God's not concerned with material provision of goods? Does that mean that God's not worried about what you eat and what clothes you and how you pay the bills? No. God cares for those things. God cares for those things. God is not saying these things don't matter. God is saying, don't worry about them the way the nations do. Don't fight for them. Don't 
Don't become competitive for them or hoarding for them. Don't buy into scarcity about them. Because God says, actually, I want to give you more than that. I don't want to give you less than that. I don't want to tell you that it doesn't matter what you eat or drink or have to wear or whether you can pay your bills. God says, I just want more than that for you. Jesus says, and your father knows that you need them. God knows that you need material provision. God knows that you need to survive. God knows what your body that God made needs. Your needs are holy and good. This is not meant to tell us to deny our needs, but to trust that our needs are so good that they have been accounted for in creation. Jesus says, seek God's kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. It's baked in. The kingdom is a place where all needs are met. The kingdom is the future wherein we can collaborate to meet one another's needs instead of compete so that some have a lot and many have nothing. But having more than this basic provision, more than survival, Survival is the baseline and the promise. There's plenty of toilet paper for everybody. There's plenty. We just got to do some math, right? We got to take some deep breaths. We got to figure out what our collective needs are, and we have to meet them. And we are more than capable of that because that is the design of all creation. But what's terrifying about it is that it requires trust trust in one another, and trustworthiness of ourselves. We need to be the kind of kingdom that, in March 2020, doesn't make a run for toilet paper, but does an inventory check and a needs assessment and says, how can we decide together to get everyone's needs met? This is Luke 12. Now, to, to drive home that point that, that God knows that this is scary and that empire feeds on that fear, but that we need not be afraid. Jesus says, do not be afraid, little flock. Do not be afraid, little flock. Calling in that imagery, right, of the good shepherd, the one who says, it's my job to take care of you. It is my pleasure to take care of you. Jesus says, it is your parent in heaven's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is not something we have to earn. This is a parent who has provided a buffet of all of our needs and a Lord of the Flies situation where some kids have figured out how to take 90% of it away from the rest. And God says, it is my good pleasure to give you all of this. But what we know about God is that God is not coercive. God does not puppeteer us. God does not uh, force us to play nice. Instead, God teaches, invites over and over again. And so Jesus teaches here saying, listen, there is enough. There is more than enough. We've got to be in this together. And when we are, when we can lay that terror down, that scarcity down, that domination down, not only do we have our needs met, 
but we can experience the fullness of the kingdom, which is something even greater. Now, how does God give the kingdom to us, along with all of our basics? Through one another. And that's the tricky part, because the rest of us are not God, and we're still figuring it out. Jesus is explicit with instructions here. He says, sell your possessions and give to those in need. So, all right, we got God saying there's enough to go around. We got God saying don't hoard, don't take extra. We've got God saying, hey, if you have extra and you choose to keep it, it's going to go rancid. And that's, that's true materially and also like in your insides. It's going to curdle your relationships. That's going to cause a wound in creation that we call sin. And we have this instruction. Sell what you got. There are people who have needs. Give it to them. Help us find that ecosystem again. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. Now, he goes on later to say that to whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. You might know that line better when Spider-Man borrowed it. With great power comes great responsibility. Or you might know it in a very similar way from Marx, who says, to each according to need, from each according to ability. Right? So we have this Jesus who is saying, hey, what do you got? Is it more than you need? What, do, what does everybody have? Does everybody not have enough? All right, well, we need to do some redistribution here. We need to figure out how to meet everyone's needs because there's enough here. There is enough in the world. There is enough resourcing for everyone. So if you have extras, it's, it's simple. Just sell them. Sell them and give it away. It feels simple, right? It feels completely uncomplicated in this world that is so terrifying. How many of you, when I say sell your possessions and give to those who are in need, feel that little terrified scarcity monster in your chest? Yeah, yeah. It's really scary to throw our lot in with everyone, especially when there are predatory, imperial forces of economic domination. And so we have to figure out how to show up for one another. But Jesus shows us this over and over again, and it brings me back to one of my other, you know, big, bright, shiny stories in the scriptures, which is, the multiple times that Jesus is with a crowd of thousands of people who are hungry and don't have enough to eat. And Jesus is like, hey, cool. I have like this small amount or like this kid has this small amount or between the disciples we have this small amount. Send that around. And the disciples are like, are you kidding me? There's like a billion people here and you have like two snacks. <laughs> and Jesus is like, yeah do it. And so they send the food around, and somehow by the end, they have overflowing baskets of like highly metaphorically meaningful numbers of fish and loaves. <laughs> and we have been taught to experience those miracles as violations of the laws of physics, right? That Jesus is somehow multiplying the, the material provision that's there. And what I see 
in Luke 12 is God saying, I don't need to do that. <laughs> I gave you enough from the beginning. There is enough here. And so what I understand to be happening in every one of those miracles, which I still count as miracles, capital M, is that in this moment of scarcity, in this moment of hunger, in this moment in the, the desert under the hot beating sun after hearing Jesus describe what the kingdom feels like, everyone throwing in what they have and discovering that if they throw in everything they have, and then take exactly what they need, it turns out there is more than enough over and over and over again. These are the miracles of the kingdom. God's provision is right here. It is right here. And I think that there's, there's something really powerful. That, that we, have, we have problems with both sides of this message. Take all you can. Give all you can, right? So culture tells us to take all we can, but uh, we are telling ourselves to give all we can. And then somehow culture also tells us that our needs are actually really bad. <laughs> so we should take all we can, but if we're encouraged to take all we need, that somehow feels worse, right? A take all you can economy seems normal, like that's, that's capitalism. But we're trying to flip the script here. And at Zao, right now in this solidarity campaign, our, our tagline for this campaign is give all you can, take all you need. And like, I just, it might be in a different part of your body. It might be in your gut. It might be your shoulders tensing up. But what happens to you when I tell you that it is good and holy and beautiful for you to take and receive all you need? all you need. Not to pretend you don't have needs, not to paper over them, not to minimize them, not to take everything and give it fully away, self-sacrificing for everyone else. That's not the message here. We give all we can so that each can take all they need, trusting that God's provision has accounted for everyone. Now, some people have more coming into these spaces. That is the reality of our economic dominated world. Some people have more. And this is where we can go back to Spider-Man and to Jesus and to say, hey, if you have great power in this system as it is, even as we're trying to topple it, you have greater responsibility. To whom much is given, and we have all been given keys to the kingdom, much is required. But Jesus goes on to say, to whom more has been given, even more is demanded. And so, this is a time to take stock. What do you have in excess? What do you have an abundance of? Do you have a different responsibility than some of the people in your communities to throw in? And now, this might be true differently for different ones of us, right? Uh, on its face, this matters materially, right? So those of us who have access to more economic resources have a greater responsibility to throw in so that people who have less access to economic resources can take everything they need. And we have been entrusted with so much. We have been entrusted with so many gifts, time, talent, treasure, as we often talk about in church. 
With what have you been gifted? And how does that lay on your heart an opportunity, even a responsibility, to offer your gifts so that everyone can take the things they need so that our community can be made whole? Where in your life does that responsibility lie? What can you offer? And what does that build? What kind of community does that create? Wherein, if everyone does that, you can show up and take everything you need. Be satisfied. Have your material needs met. Have your emotional needs met. Have your spiritual needs met. Your needs are holy and good. Now, we have in this passage a little preview, especially with that sell all you have and give it away. We have a little preview of what's to come in Acts, which we're going to talk about next week. The early church's attempt to live this out, where they held all things in common, selling their possession and giving to any who had need. And I got to say, that sounds like proto-socialism to me. I might be, you know, real wild out here, but I see in the scriptures a different kind of economy, an economy of abundance. And that radical act of offering ourselves is accompanied by that radical act of having our needs met. Now I want to end on this really interesting statement of Jesus's, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. This is his, his real kind of like thesis about like why we shouldn't worry, like why that, that sickness can destroy us. And I believe it's because the economy of scarcity that we live under has put so much human energy into hoarding, into material needs, that we have started to decay, right? That, that corruption from the inside, that rancid feeling has spread through our culture. But that when we have our material needs met, because God's saying, I got this, you got this, I know that you, your father made you uh, needy creatures so that you could have those needs met. Like, this is not a problem. Your needs matter. I got you. So like, what then? Because God says there is more for you than basic survival. And our economy, our world is built around fighting to survive. But if everyone has what they need, then what? Then the kingdom. God's like, yeah, yeah. Like, communalism and provision of everyone's needs, that's a precursor for the kingdom, right? That's not the whole end of the story. I think I would have been sold, right? Just like, everybody's provided for, all decisions are, like, collectively made, you got me. But God's like, oh, no, no, no. That's just, like, the baseline for entry. God wants a fullness of life that we can only have when we are not diverted constantly towards survival, when we are not worried and panicked about what it means to make it to the next day. When we are fully provided for, we have the freedom, the access to be fully alive. Now the only, the closest, the most powerful allegory that I can make for this in my own life is being a queer and trans person in church spaces. There are spaces that want to straight up kill me. There are spaces where I have to fight to be alive, to be fully seen, to survive in those spaces. There are church communities where my existence, let alone my belovedness and my inclusion in salvation and liberation, is up for debate. 
And in my experience, in those spaces, even alongside earnest, queer-loving, straight people, my energy gets so diverted to defending my existence, to surviving in that space, that I am drained of life. I know many of you with many uh, similar and different identities of oppression have had this experience. That when you have to fight to survive, you have to fight to be seen, that that takes life away from you. <laughs> the fullness of life is diminished. And so, in spaces like Zhao, where the belovedness of queerness and transness is not up for debate, that frees my energy up to creativity, to relationship, to exploring my spirituality more deeply. I ended up telling some people that I'm not going to debate them about my sexuality anymore because I wanted to spend more time reading the Bible. I want to read more than seven verses that have been badly misunderstood for several years. There's like a whole tradition there. Did you, do you know? When our basics are provided for, we are able to find and tap into and express the creativity and joy and life of the kingdom. And that is what we are called to build here more than survival, that when we have the trust to throw down for one another, when we have the trust to believe that others will provide for us, when we can meet one another's needs, we can become creative and loving and wild. We can be present to the moment. We can open up the possibilities for connection and faith and transformation. We can put our energy from surviving into living. And this is the kingdom to be fully alive. That's what Zhao means, by the way. To be among the living. This is the fulfillment of trust, not only in God, but in one another. Trusting one another, being trustworthy. And while that kingdom is not yet, we're very aware that the kingdom is not yet. Jesus also says the kingdom is already here. The kingdom is in you. And so we need to both fight on every front line we can find to make that kingdom possible structurally in the world. And we need to find that kingdom, that kingdom life, that provision, that generosity, that trust inside ourselves and one another and build it into our communities with everything we have. Give all you can and take all you need. This is the way of true life. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, I get carried away sometimes. But you have changed our understanding. You have changed my understanding, God, of what it means to live. God, may you transform our hearts, our communities. May you give us the trust, the confidence, the boldness to offer more of ourselves than we thought possible and receive more than we ever hoped to receive. God, may we be alive, a community of radical provision, systemically, interpersonally, and God, in our own bodies, here with you. God, may that trust result in an incredible new access to life, and may we be faithful with it. Amen.